Well, good morning, everyone. Um, my name is my name is Jeep Underwood, and I'm going to be I'm going to be speaking for Alex this morning because uh, he's like on the wrong continent <laughs> and he couldn't make it this morning. So uh, I figure that's a pretty good reason. You know, I, uh, so anyway, I, we're, we, what we've been doing uh, over the last several weeks, uh, we've been we've been speaking on a, a message series called the, the Epic Story. It's like the sweep of God, the sweep through history and what he's been writing and what he's been doing. We've been looking really at the lives of the key figures in the Bible and also just trying to discover what God's purposes are in the story that he's writing in history. And when you, one thing you see when you look at the flow of history is that leadership and following leadership are very crucial elements in how your life turns out. Leadership and following leadership, the way that you, you approach both of those really determines really whether you experience blessing in your life or you experience a lot of trouble. Uh, so it's a very important topic. That's one thing you see. But I'd like to take just a minute before we get into the, the talk today and that just to say happy Mother's Day to all the mothers that are here today. Um, you know, uh, I'm very grateful for my mom and just all the, you know, she put up with me for a very long time. And she led me, she, she taught me things that are just pivotal to me today. Very grateful for the way she led me. And, uh, you know, our moms, moms, you're here, you in a thousand different ways, you lead your kids, you lead us, and you helped us grow from the little kids we were to the men and women we become. And just very grateful for that. Your labor of love and your leadership, we just really want to honor you for that this morning. Um, now, one thing, one thing that my mom discovered early on is I don't like to be told what to do. I think it was around two, but I, I don't remember, but she told me about it. And that's, that's, a, that's just a true thing across the board for every one of us. One thing that's just kind of built into us is that we just don't like to be told what to do. And, you know, I've been working for uh, 23 years now in a civil engineering company, and I've seen that dynamic from a lot of vantage points. You know, I've been an intern. I've been a, uh, I've been a uh, journeyman engineer. I've been a, a project engineer. I've been a supervisory engineer. I've been a project manager. And now I'm uh, at an executive level. And I have seen that in all different ways. And I could, if you ever want to sit down with me, I could tell you all kinds of stories about how that plays out. But when I became a supervisor the first time, it wasn't three weeks before I had a problem. Um, I, I told someone what I wanted them to do, and they informed me that that wasn't on their to-do list. And uh, they, they said they didn't want to do it. So I went to my boss, and I just kind of laid it out, and I asked him for advice. Like, hey, how do, you, how do you handle this when someone just won't do it? And he leans back in his chair, and his smile plays on his lips. And he goes, welcome to management. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> and then he gave me some advice. It was helpful. But... Uh, you know, there's just something about the way we're wired. And that's, that's something you see all through the scriptures and all through the history in the, in the Bible is this, uh, is this real struggle that people have. You see it in the, in the Israelites as they really dealt with what, with, uh, what they were dealing with as uh, they went into the promised land. Last week, Alex spoke on Joshua and how he led the people into battle and they won the, and they won the promised land. The land had been promised to him. Well, after Joshua, there was a whole period of time that's covered in the Bible in the book of Judges. And you could sum up the book of Judges 
in the, the last sentence of the book. It's, it's actually repeated several times, and it says, and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. They just, basically it's a book about folks that just didn't want to follow uh, what God had really put into place. Then you get to the last judge, and that was, uh, that was the judge. His name was Samuel. And when, as when he got old, a group of, uh, of the people came to him and they said, hey, we would like a different kind of leadership. We don't like this leadership system. We want another leadership system. In fact, let's take a look at uh, uh, 1 Samuel 8, 4 through 7. It says, Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, Behold, you are old. Now, that's a great way to start any conversation with a leader. Behold, you are old. And your sons do not walk in your ways. Now appoint for us a king to judge us like all the nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, Give us a king to judge us. And Samuel prayed to the Lord. And the Lord said to Samuel, Obey the voice of the people in all that they say to you. For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Um, When the people rejected the leadership system that God had put over them, they were, they were truly actually just, they were rejecting God and the way that he had chosen to lead them. Now, they got their wish. God said, give them some kings. And so for the next several hundred years, they got lots of kings. And these kings, I'm not going to go into much detail, but there were, it was kind of like it was the good, the bad, and the ugly. It was like the good, the bad, and the wicked. I mean, it was like these, there just there was a whole gamut of different kind of leadership that went through. There were three kings initially, Saul, David, and Solomon. And then there was a rebellion, and it's broken into two kingdoms. And the northern kingdom had about 19 kings, and all of them really weren't very good, very good kings at all. They didn't follow God. The bottom half of the kingdom, the the south, King and Judah, they had 20 kings, and only eight of them were really men that wanted to walk after God. Uh, And they did that, some of them did that very imperfectly. Even the best of those kings still had flaws and they still made bad decisions here and there. So one thing you see in the flow of history, one thing is that there really are no perfect leaders. There's no one that can be a leader that has it all figured out and they always make the right decisions. They're always doing the right thing. There's that, that, that category doesn't exist. There are no perfect leaders. Now, if none of us, we're in a situation where, you know, none of us really at the heart of who we are. We don't like being told what to do just because of that rebellious nature that uh, we were born with. And there's no perfect leaders. Then why is there so much leadership all around us? I mean, every, everywhere you look, we are under, we are under, we have, we have leadership structures around us. There's uh, like boss, employee, uh, parents and kids, husbands and wives, uh, government and citizen. There's just, I could just keep going. There's just layers and levels of uh, leadership around us. <clears throat> the short answer is because it's necessary. We, we really have to have leadership so that we can accomplish what God's given us to do. Just as humanity, we've been given some tasks, and there needs to be leadership to do that. To get anything done, you really have to have at least two things, and that is teamwork. People have to work cooperatively with each other, and you need to have leadership. Where someone is setting the pace, someone is uh, determining the direction to go and they're getting the group moving. You really have to have those two things working to get something done. 
Now, a key point right here, I want to just make a key point in this system of authority that's all around us is that God is in charge and he guides us through the leaders that he's put in place. God is in charge and he guides us through the leaders that he's put in place. Uh, let's take a look at uh, Romans 13, 1 and 2. This is something that Paul said. He was talking about the governing authorities, but he pulls out a, he's basing it on a principle that he, he talks about. He says, every person is to be in subjection to the governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and those which exist are established by God. Therefore, whoever resists authority has opposed the ordinance of God, and they who have opposed will receive condemnation upon themselves. One one thing you see there is that all of the authority around us has been placed there by God. And that when we resist against it, it just causes us all kinds of trouble. When 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 you resist, when a person resists the authority structure over them, it just causes all kinds of trouble. Now, the next one, let's look at Proverbs 21.1. This says, The king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. So you get this picture. It says that God is, the king's heart is just like a little bit of water in his hand, and he can make it go anywhere he wants. And so when you look at the way that God really controls things, is he... He not only is in charge, he not only put it in place, but he can actually cause anything to happen because he holds sway over the hearts of every leader in your life. He's some, he can actually influence every leader in your life. So God really is someone that you can go to and he can affect anything that you're facing. Now, to move forward with that, to take that and actually do something with it, really faith is required. There's yet that the faith is really required to um, to really trust God in that way. Now, what I wanted I'd like to tell just take us to a story in the in the Gospels. You know, Jesus. There's a few times in the Gospels where it's talking about Jesus, and Jesus it says that he said, "Wow," like he saw something. He goes, "Oh my gosh, did you guys see that?" Now, when you're thinking about Jesus, what would, what would surprise him? He, he created everything. But everyone, there's a few times when he said, wow. And this is one of those times. A Roman centurion had, uh, had come to Jesus and he had a, a servant that was sick and he asked him to heal him. And Jesus said, all right, well, I'll come. I'll come over and I'll heal him. And the centurion said this. He said, Lord, I am not worthy for you to come under my roof. But just, but just say the word and my servant will be healed. For I also am a man under authority, with soldiers under me, and I say to the one, go. And he goes. And another, come. And he comes into my slave, do this. And he does it. Now when Jesus heard this, he marveled and said to those who were following, Truly I say to you, I have not found such great faith with anyone in Israel. Now when I, when I first read that, it surprised me. Because it, I expected him to say, for I, too, am a man with authority. And I tell people to do what they do, and then they go do it. Instead, he says, I, too, am a man under authority, and I have authority of people under me. And I think, you know, Jesus was calling out the faith that he had. That he, he believed that Jesus was in charge, and he could actually do. He didn't have to be present to, uh, to heal somebody. But it was the reasoning behind it, that I think, that really got Jesus' attention. Because the centurion, he saw himself... 
as a follower and a leader. And he was very, and he, he seemed to have really made peace. He really saw himself as someone who followed. There's something that gets lost, I think, a lot in our culture, and that is the real need to follow. You know, you really can't be a good leader unless you've really learned to follow well. There's no leader that doesn't have to follow someone. You know, where I work, there's a branch chief that tells the section chief what to do. There's an engineer, the division chief tells the branch chief what to do. The colonel tells the division chief what to do. The one-star general in San Francisco tells the colonel what to do. The three-star general in Washington, D.C. tells the one-star what to do. And it just keeps, you know, finally it gets to the president. But there's, all of us are operating in this uh, kind of a hierarchy where we're following. In fact, part of leading is, fall, is taking a group of folks and following well with them to accomplish what the folks over you have given you to do. Now, uh, when we don't, when we don't agree with like a decision the leadership's making, when we don't agree, one thing that we're really tempted to do, and I, and I can completely relate to this, our temptation is they're here, we're here, and we want to put ourselves over them. We want to go ahead and take control. So we like, well, you say that, well, I'll tell you, this is what we're going to do. And we want to tell them what to do. And I want, I'll tell you just a, a time that really played out with me and Kate. Last... Uh, Last uh, Sunday, my son Donovan, he's our youngest, turned 13 years old. And as I was just reflecting on how incredible it is that my youngest son is 13 years old, I was thinking about when he was born, and and uh, I remembered something that happened about two weeks before he was born. Uh, Kate, this was her, her third child, and so she was a bit of an expert at that point, and she was going to a doctor and, you know, they were doing all their, their checkups as you get close to having a baby. But for about three months before she, uh, her due date, they, kept let, they had her see a nurse practitioner, which is great. This, was, she was a, this nurse practitioner was a great person. She was competent. Kate liked her. But she kept wanting to see the doctor. And so they, she, they told her you had to make an appointment to see just the doctor. And he had to wait like three or four weeks. So Kate made this appointment. It's like, it's only, it's very close to her due date. And she goes to this appointment. And I'm at work and I got a phone call from Kate. And she's crying in the parking lot of this place. And she's crying. Now, if you, if you ever want to know, how do you get Jeep frustrated? Just make Kate cry and you'll find out. You know, it's just, Kate's crying. And I'm listening to this and she tells me, the head nurse at this medical group is saying that I can't see the doctor and that I have to see the nurse practitioner again. And I explained to her what's going on and that I made this appointment. And she said she's sorry. She just can't. It's just the way they do it. You can't change it. She gives me this call. And as she's telling me this, there's a picture in my mind that's beginning to build. <clears throat> and the picture looks something like this. I jump in my car. I drive the Whittier. I take Kate by the hand. We walk in there. And I say, can I speak to, and I can't remember her name now, but I, can I chat with her for just a moment? And then I proceed to tell her exactly how this is going to go. And actually, uh, where do you, where's the doctor? I'll go find him. We'll just excuse us. And that was my natural, the natural reaction was, well, let me go make this happen. And I asked Kate for her phone number and her name. And somewhere between when Kate hung up and when I called the lady, 
God did a work in my heart. <laughs> and he, he helped me see the future. <laughs> and uh, the future that, I, that he showed me was, uh, was that uh, if I did anything like that, all I would do is I would just stir up a lot of trouble. And at the end of the day, Kate still wouldn't have seen a doctor. You know, I might, maybe I'd have a little room to stay in <laughs> uh, with bars. But, uh, you know, I don't know what would have happened, but they're, they're really, at the end of whatever would happen, that wouldn't happen. What Kate needed to have happen wouldn't happen. And, and I just thought, you know, I, uh, I, can't, uh, I can't be blasting someone because Kate needs to see the doctor. So, I, so as I'm calling her, I realize, you know, I need, to, <clears throat> I need to say this very differently. And I got the lady and, and I said, hey, my name is uh, Paul Underwood. And my, uh, which is my real name, by the way, because you're wondering. It doesn't match the name tag. Um, my name is Paul Underwood, and my, uh, my wife was just in, and she was told that she couldn't see a doctor, even though she had uh, uh, made a, uh, an appointment. And the lady, you can tell, you can tell when you, someone's mad at you real easy, even over the phone. She goes, oh, um, yes, uh, she was here, and I've already explained to her, this is the way it goes, this, and she kind of tells me their policy. And I said, well... I just have a question for you. And she said, what? And I said, well, I said, my wife has been coming there regularly for about three or four months. And she's been seeing a nurse practitioner and it's been really helpful. She's, uh, I think my wife's been really helped. She's really glad about that. But she has a due date in a week and a half. And she hasn't seen the doctor in about four months. And she would like to just have a visit with the doctor so that he can just assure her that everything's on track. I don't think she's being unreasonable, do you? And it was just dead silent. And then finally, after quite a while, she said, no, I don't. Have her come back in and we'll get her and see the doctor as, as uh, soon as we can. And I said, well, thank you very, very much. And so I called Kate, told her, hey, go back in, talk to her. She's going to let you see the doctor. Now, um, one thing that I learned there, that was the reason I know that story and I remember that story is because it was a, it was a really pivotal moment for me. It helped me. It taught me something. Um, one thing it taught me is that when I respond to someone who's an authority without a rebellious spirit, I'm very persuasive. If you respond to someone who's in authority without a rebellious spirit, you're very persuasive to them. It really opens up the door for them to listen to you. And it, and it really does make a difference. And uh, <clears throat> what, I, what I'd like to do right now is I want to take a look. You guys, I don't know about you, but I have questions that kind of roll through my mind. Like I'll be reading the scriptures and I just have questions about the scriptures or Something's going on, and I, sometimes I write them down. Sometimes they just kind of stay in my head. And uh, a few years ago, I was reading through the Gospels, and one of those questions came up. And the question was this. I was reading about the, the account of Jesus' crucifixion. And it just this question came up. That how did Pilate know that Jesus was innocent? Because, I mean, they, they barely talked. And I just thought, well, how did, Jesus know, how did Pilate know that Jesus was innocent because Pilate comes out and he tells everybody he's innocent. And so I, what I did is I just looked at the different accounts in the, in the four Gospels and I kind of wove together the conversation of Pilate and Jesus. 
You know, what all did they say to each other? And uh, I, think, I think I figured out an answer, and that is, if you look at John 19, 10, and 11, uh, Jesus had actually just stopped answering Pilate's questions at this point. And Pilate looked, he's kind of befuddled, and he goes, you do not speak to me? He says, do you not know that I have authority to release you, and I have authority to crucify you? Jesus answered, you would have no authority over me unless it had been given you from above. For this reason, he who delivered to me to you has the greater sin. What Jesus, what he was basically saying is, you know, you wouldn't have any authority, but God gave it to you. And but, but God did give it to you. And I had never seen what Jesus did going to the cross as a submission to authority over him before. But that's one part of what Jesus did is he submitted himself to the governing authorities. And, and just think about who this guy was. You know, you know Jesus. You know, this is the guy that they're in the boat. The wind's going crazy. Everyone thinks they're going to die. They're sure they're going to die. They wake him up, and he gets up. He stands up, and he says, stop it. And it stops. This is, this is Jesus who can do anything. And this is also earlier when he's talking to Pilate. Uh, he says, you know, I, I could call 10, 10, uh, 12 legions of angels, and they would be here immediately. The, the resources that Jesus had to bear at that moment when Pilate told him, don't you know I have authority over you? The amount of resources that Jesus had is just something we can't even imagine. And yet he followed, and yet he submitted, because it was, uh, it, we know why now. We know that that was actually how he was going to save us. And, uh, you know, it would be kind of like, uh, if you think of, you know, this is a ter- maybe a terrible analogy, but like Arnold Schwarzenegger and a three-year-old. You know, it's like he's looking at him, little three-year-old's telling him, yeah, I'm going to tell you what to do. And he's like, you know, the only chance he's got is Arnie's in a good mood. You know, it's like, and, you know, that's what, that's what Jesus is uh, standing there. So let's go ahead and take a look at Luke 23. After Pilate talks to Jesus, it says, Pilate summoned the chief priest and the rulers and the people. And he said to them, you brought this man to me as one who incites the people to rebellion. And behold, having examined him before you, I find I have found no guilt in this man regarding the charges which you make against him. You know, one thing, uh, I think that the reason that Pilate knew Jesus was innocent is because there was no rebellious spirit in him. They brought him to Pilate saying, he's leading a rebellion against you and your government. And Pilate spends time with him and he goes, there's no rebellion in this guy. You guys, he's just not guilty. Now, how did Jesus do that? How did, how did he in that moment, submit himself in that way. Uh, let's take a look. If you look at 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 and 23, Peter wrote about that moment. He wrote about that moment, and this is what he said. He said, For you have been called to this purpose, since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps, who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return, and while suffering, he uttered no threats, but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. It's interesting that it doesn't say he entrusted himself to him who judges righteously. It says he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. I think that every moment, as he was living the moments, he kept entrusting himself to God, that he was taking care of him in that moment. And that he was exactly where God wanted him to be. Um, and that's how 
That's how he was able to do that. And it says here he, he did that. He left us an example for us to follow in his steps. I think a couple of things we could pull out of that. If you, I think what you could pull out of that is uh, a person's ability to follow leadership without a rebellious spirit is really tied to at least two things. So a person's ability to follow leadership without a rebellious heart is really tied to about at least two things. And those are how real God is to you and your ability to trust him. How real God is to you and your ability to trust him in any given situation. Um, now, what, you know, what does that look like if you, uh, you know, uh, what does it look like if you're in a situation where you're, uh, maybe your boss or another leader in your life is making a decision and you don't really agree with it? You're not really sure that this is really the way we ought to go. What does that kind of look like? Well, what, one thing I would suggest is, is right up front, take the issue of whether you're going to follow or not right off the table. And, and, and what I mean by that is, <clears throat> instead of saying something like this, I don't think we should do that, and here's why. And then give your list. I don't think we should do that, and here's all the reasons why. Instead of saying something like that, say something like, you know, what, whatever you decide, I'll support but I do, I do have some concerns that I'd like to bring up. Could I bring those up right now? When, if you say something like that, what you're going to find is that the leader you're following won't see you as an obstacle. They'll see you as a teammate. He won't see you as an, they won't see you as an obstacle that they have to try to figure out. They see you as a teammate who's actually on board trying to accomplish what you're trying to do, but you have some input, that he'd, and he'd be very much more willing to hear that. Or she would be very much more willing to hear that. Now, if you were if you were to follow, if you followed someone even though you didn't agree with the decision and you did it without a rebellious spirit, I want to just paint like here, here's a, here's a few things that could happen. If if you followed but without a rebellious spirit, here's three things that could that could happen. One is, um, it could be that your concerns that you brought up were not the driver that you thought they were. They actually didn't carry as much weight as you thought, and the leader made the right decision. Now, if that's the case, it actually it really helps you because the right thing was done and you weren't seen as like the stubborn resistance to getting it done. So that's one thing that could happen. Another thing that could happen uh, if you were to follow without a rebellious spirit is it could become apparent as you go forward that your concerns were really very good concerns. Your concerns actually held a lot of sway. And, uh, and actually the decision could have been better. And so what happens is, over time, the leader, the leader sees you as someone... Actually, you begin to have a lot more influence with the leader because they see you as someone who's on board. They see you as a teammate. And they see you as someone who actually has some good input. And you actually kind of see how things work. And you actually develop a reputation with the leader of, uh, and you begin to have uh, some real influence. And possibly, maybe here's a third thing that could happen if you followed uh, what you felt was the wrong decision, but you did it with out of spirit of rebellion. It could be that there's someone around your life that gets drawn towards God because they see the reality of God as you entrust yourself to God as you suffer through a hard time. 
where maybe things, maybe things, because of that decision, things get harder for you, yet you follow. And you maybe go through a time where things are a little harder, and people see that you put your faith in God, and God becomes a lot more real to them. That's one thing that could happen. If you react with a rebellious spirit, then those things, those things wouldn't happen. But you really do. And when, when, you, when you follow without a rebellious spirit, one, one thing you do is you really open yourself to the good that God intends for you. It really opens you up to the blessing that God really wants you to have. And I'd like to end with just Hebrews 13, 17. And that is, it just says, Obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Um, and let them do this with joy and not with grief. For that would be unprofitable for you. So really, you make it a joy to a leader. You're not an obstacle. You're really following well. Then good things happen in your life. The, the objective gets met. And uh, it makes a real difference. So I'd like to ask, uh, I'd like to ask the band uh, to go ahead and uh, come up as we get prepared to take... Uh, take the offering and I'll just go through a few next steps um, just a few next steps of how you could respond to uh, the talk today one is maybe maybe you for you uh, you just need to surrender initially and and uh, and just step into the kingdom and become a Christian you know maybe maybe that's the step for you another one is maybe you need to just pursue a deeper relationship with God so that he's more real to you you know, really pursue God, get into the scriptures and get to know him and what he's really like. And then a third thing is really just to, uh, you know, develop an ability to trust God by following your current leaders. And uh, you can't really grow in trusting God unless you begin taking some first steps. And so, you know, there might be a situation you're facing right now where you're you're struggling with whether you know, how to, whether you want to follow this or not. But if you go ahead and do it, then watch and see how it turns out and see how God really uses that in your life. Uh, over time, you develop more and more of the ability to trust God. So let me, let me pray for us, and then we'll, we'll go forward. Dear God, uh, Father, I just uh, thank you this morning. I just pray that you would help each one of us just to think through the... Uh, the leadership that's that's over us, God, and uh, really teach us how to follow without a rebellious spirit and really put our trust in you and to really keep entrusting ourselves to you. And God, I pray that you would really help us to be effective and make a difference. In Jesus' name, amen.